Economics in the Spirit presents How to Be a Success Ordinary Men Living Extraordinary Lives The podcast that explores the messy nuts and bolts behind people's success Now here's your host, S.B. Cole Author of The Good Man Exploring Economics and the Spirit This month's guest is Simon Edwards Ten years ago, whilst doing a life sentence in Dovegate Prison, Simon Edwards found God. Five years ago, he left prison with £46 in his pocket. Today, he is the CEO of Walk Ministries, based in Stoke-on-Trent. Walk Ministries runs intensive rehab programmes for ex-prisoners to develop a new life outside of jail. They currently own four homes for newly released ex-offenders, seven flats, a detox centre called Liberty Farm on 10 acres of land, enough bees to make their own honey, and at least two cows. So, Simon, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very, very well. I'm very blessed to be here. So we're at the YMCA in Stoke-on-Trent, which is huge. It's one of the flagship YMCA buildings. Mm. It's it's quite extraordinary what they've managed to do here. Yeah, what's, what's even more extraordinary, when I was a, a 16-year-old kid, I, I lived here. For a season, really? so this wasn't here when I was there. They mm-hmm. Just the main building was, which is the tall tower. Mm-hmm. Everything else you see wasn't. Mm-hmm. So over the years, they've just built, but they've they've got 130 residents, I think, here. And we're we're always blessed. Cause we're partners, so you know they've always supported us since mm-hmm. the day I walked in here and. And I told the, the CEO of this this organisation what I believe God's put on my heart and um, <laughs> and why he should be helping me. And you know, since that day. They've helped us, so yeah, it's great. How did it all begin? Where? Well, I was sitting in a prison cell a long, long time ago, um, wondering who, who am I? Mm-hmm. I looked in a mirror one day. I wasn't wasn't happy with who I was, mm-hmm. um, and and I made a decision no longer to be violent, uh, which was quite odd because I come from a violent world. I lived in a violent world. Can you tell me a bit about? You're growing up. What was it like growing up? What, what was your Well, experience? I grew up in the children's home system. So okay. I was put into care when I was 18. Mum and dad's relationship broke down. 18-month-old eight, I was. And by the time I was six, I had 18 sets of foster parents. Oh, and by the time I was 18, I had, I think it was 23 placements I've had. Mm-hmm. So I was a quite a defunctional person. I, I didn't really know what a family unit looked like. I mm-hmm. didn't really know what mum and dad authority and discipline and love looked like because... Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, I've only lived with my dad and his family for four years, and I've only lived with my mum and her family for three or four years. Mm-hmm. So the rest of it's always been with a foster parent, a children's home, an aunt and uncle, uh, a prison cell. Um, and it was... So I grew up um, probably wanting to be a part of a family, yeah. and the family I became a part of was the criminal family on the estate that a lot of my family come from. Um, And that's it. They accepted me for who I was, warts and all. Um, And then from the age of 14 onwards, um, I became who I was in that world, really. And at that time, what was the image in your mind, in your heart? Um, I think there was a couple of things. One was to be accepted because I felt felt like I wasn't accepted because of my childhood. It was very displaced. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I have like brothers and sisters, but they, we have different parents. So so I'm a parent's only child, mm-hmm. and then they've gone on and remarried. So there was a, there was a bit of acceptance, but there was also, um, I'm a very methodical thinker. I like to solve problems. Okay. And um, 
when I was uh, a, a younger age, I wasn't massively into football. Yeah. Um, I liked a bit of cricket and stuff like that. But one thing I was really good at, solving problems. And um, I never knocked around with anyone my own age. I always knocked around with people like five, six, seven, eight years older than me. Why? Um, I think mat- my maturity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So even though I was a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old lad, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't probably act that age group. So I had this 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 thing of um, wanting to solve problems and it became a bit of a thing you know people used to come to me you know we, we're thinking of doing this you know, how would you get in yeah. I also had a lot of um, um, I didn't seem to be scared of doing risky things oh, okay. which even now in mm. you know the charity that I lead and the business that I own I have like a bit of reputation for just getting on with it taking mm. risks mm. and the calculated risks yeah. but I'm prepared to do that journey that kind of got me noticed, so that goes back into the acceptance thing. Yeah. Um, you get validation from it. You, yeah, you do. Um, I've always been a very secretive person. Okay. So even though I used to do my crimes and all the other stuff, I would present this, mm. but really I'd be doing this. So you give you the impress, give people your impression yeah. you were doing what, for example? Well, I used to work with these guys that were like, they were like 24, 25. Yeah. Uh, well, I think one of them was 28. So um, we used to, say we did a job yeah. and we got um, £10,000 off yeah. the job and there was there was uh, four of us. Mm. So we'd have £2,500 each. Mm-hmm. So what I would do mm-hmm. is I would go, hey, um, when we used to go out for like partying on the weekend and stuff like that, he said, can you lend us a hundred quid? Mm-hmm. He said, well, where's... I said, well, you know, I've had to look after my mum and my dad and stuff like that. So I used to borrow a hundred pound off the other three partners. Okay. And I didn't used to drink as much as them. Mm. So I didn't really get into the drug taking. Not saying I never did because, you know, years later I messed up on drugs myself. Mm-hmm. So they were still always like, kind of give me a bit of a clip up the ear roll and, mm. you know, in love and jest, and like, you know what, you need to sort your money out and all that. So the next job, mm. we get £10,000 again. Mm. But I would owe them £100 each out of the £10,000. Okay. So what I actually really did mm. is lived off owing them money all the time and I used to just save my money. And that's what I used to do. <laughs> did they never get what? They never clocked it, no. Never? So within a year, mm. I saved up like 80, 90, 100 grand and okay. they had nothing because they were partying all the time. And what I realised um, very quickly is that people believe what they want to believe about you. Yeah. So they all believe that I was crapping my money, I was this, I was that, and they always believe they had to give me a bit of a cuff up the ear roll and all the other stuff, and I was happy to go along with that. I always had a plan. You always had a plan. And that's it. You have to have a plan, because in, as a Christian, it says a man without a vision will perish. Mm. Well, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to perish because you're going to end up doing nothing. But at a very young age, I set a business up as well. What uh, kind of business? I had was a it? roofing company. So uh, you were doing crime on the side, roofing company yeah. as the front. What happened is there was a set of circumstances where I realised that the police were getting very clever. Mm-hmm. So I mm. went to the Princess Trust mm. and got a loan. Mm. So there's a source of money coming in um, set up my business Mm. with the princess trust backing me Uh, princess trust Trust, yeah so that's what i did and um so i set this business away Mm. but at the same time i was still doing this methodical stuff what was mad is the business became very successful (laughs) 
and it got to a place where I had 15, 16 guys working and they were all people that no one really wanted to employ. Mm. So what I do now is what I was doing then. I've always had a heart for people. How old were you then? Um, I was 23, 24, yeah. At some point, the risk you took landed you in jail, didn't it? I always went jail for a disqualified driving. One of the other things I used to uh, get locked in is violence, be like an assault somewhere or stuff like that. But what I got my life sense for was armed robbery. Armed robbery. And um, the the reason what drove me to do the armed robbery is I had a crack addiction. Right, we're going to move into the battlefield of the mind section of the interview. So when did the the drugs come in? I've always tried drugs as a, as a, as a teenager, coming into my early teens and to my early 20s, but it was never a big... It was something that wasn't big for me. I've never really drank, because mm. um, I always like to feel that I'm, I kept myself in, in control of myself. Mm. But they always say there's a drug of choice, and one of my drugs of choice was crack cocaine. What did you like about it? Um, I think it was the instant high. Mm-hmm. So I went from rubbing, robbing all the drug dealers. One day I seen an opportunity. Yeah. So um, I went and um, for three months um, did 33 armed robberies. Um, you seem like a person that just does not do things by heart. When no, you do it, you no. really, really do it. Well, it was hectic. It was driven by addiction. Um, Would it be right in thinking that you came to criminality with a very analytical, methodical approach? Mm. You did low-profile crimes successfully, taking mm. risks that paid off very, yeah. very well. And then when you developed this crack addiction, three years, you could hold it down, it was yeah. fine. But then that led you to do much more high-profile crimes and essentially chaos that led you to prison. And there's a teaching in that because what happened is this this thing that I did about keeping myself in the order, mm-hmm. I stopped doing. So I lost control of who I was. Yeah. So it's really important as a, as a Christian man that you, you have an identity. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't actually do your basics, mm-hmm. so what were, what are your basics? Mm-hmm. Um, so my basics, I get up each day, I have the same kind of 20-minute routine in the morning, and part of that routine is going to the toilet. Mm-hmm. It is, but it's my routine. Mm-hmm. And um, and we, we, we've got to get ahead round that these little things mm-hmm. are more important than these big impacts because it's yeah. the little things that get the big impacts Impact to happen. in the end. So it's something I learned... Um, between getting locked up and now mm. sitting in a cell, why did I get caught? Mm. I got caught because I was a criminal and you know I took chances. But why did I end up doing crimes mm. that I wouldn't normally do? Mm. Well, because I was desperate. Yeah. And the moment you're desperate, you're basing everything on fear and anxiety and anguish and anger and all the other stuff. Mm. But as a Christian, Jesus has come to give you peace that mm. surpasses all understanding. Mm. And if you walk in his peace, mm. that the outcome would be the fruits of the Spirit, yeah. which is what we see at walk and what we see at places like the YMCA. Mm. Uh, 
So there's a quite a lot of parallels mm. from my old life to the life that I lead now. Mm. So what actually motivated you to turn your life around? Um, I had a breakdown. I had a breakdown mm. and um, couldn't cope with who I was. Probably, I had massive identity crisis through childhood and loads of stuff, sexuality abuse and mm. like just loads of stuff that went on in my life mm. and I never felt part of the family. I still don't feel part of my maternal family now, I suppose, because of the way my, my life was. Um, but in that chaos of having a breakdown, I asked God a question and the, the question was based on my um, being in a very vulnerable place. Yeah. And um, and a priest gave me a Gideon Bible. Yeah. And um, and when he gave me this Gideon Bible, I knew that there was a worth in yeah. this. I knew that it was something that. Um, and what happened is, um, I read five or six chapters in Genesis, threw it on the floor, didn't yeah. understand it, yeah. but I asked God a question. Yeah. And I got my knees in a segregation unit in Doncaster Block, mm. and I went, Lord. Well, my actual words were, God, I know that you are true, but you need to show me. And that's it. And and I always say to the men, don't pray unless you expect an answer. <laughs> Perfect. Four days later, I got shipped into another prison, Dovegate, mm. and I got put in a cell born-again Christian. Wow. And um, Darren, he, he works at the walk now, um, but Darren led me to the Lord. Really? Um, about a month after I got to that prison. So... What did your breakdown look like? How did it manifest? I don't know because I didn't realise I was having a breakdown. And a lot of times people don't. So when you look at the mental health of a mm. breakdown, um, it's, it, there's a thing called mind mapping. Your, your brain remaps itself mm. to to so you survive what you're going through. Mm. So you actually think you're okay. It's like, this is fine. This is yeah, fine. I, I, everyone's like, and I'm like, no, I'm sound. But I, I stopped eating. Um, I, I went down to 13 stone. Um, which, you know, in the space of like four to six weeks, I started becoming incoherent and, mm. and, and then I, I tried to kill myself. Oh, and, um, and then, but in that point, mm. in that point, um, um, for the first time in my life, I actually admitted to people that I was a vulnerable person. When you say admitted, what do you mean? Um, I, I, I let people know that I wasn't who I, I said I was. Mm the truth started to come out, this persona that I'd built up over the years, this life of watching and methodically thinking yeah. and, and all that, and, you know, and um, it takes its toll on you. Yeah. You know, it, crime does take its toll on you and the things that you see. So, yeah, I just came to a place where um, I actually spoke the truth mm -hmm. and the truth, it says in the Bible, the truth will set you free. Yeah. And that's what I was being set free from this past and two little old ladies, um, I probably need to be a bit more generous because they weren't little old ladies, but two mighty women of God that, <laughs> you know, were in the 50s and mm. they were volunteer workers in Dovegate yeah. and, and they laid hands on me and told mm. me that God loved me. Mm. And when you listen to their story, they always say that when they met me, I had no emotions. No emotions? Yeah, they just said that they, they could see that I was so broke mm -hmm. inside yeah. that they had to... Like let them know, let me know that they loved me, and and that was like the first time I actually felt real love. Right, we're going to move into the mountaintop section of the interview. 
And then I became a chapel orderly. I got a job as a chapel orderly, which was an amazing job. Um, you, you know, you serve, um, I think, eight ministers I was serving from different faith groups. Mm. And what I realised is everyone's got a version of the truth. Yeah. And, and it, it, it made me then go and study the Word of God. Excellent. So I, I literally gave my tally up, um, which that was a, a quite a, a rare thing that people do in prison. So yeah. I said, I don't want my tally. Mm. And I just literally would listen to teaching and worship music. And I just studied the Bible for a long time in prison. And then what was, why Walk came about is I, I then got a job as a reception orderly in Dovegate. Yeah. So I was the first person that someone would see when they come off the prison wagon. Mm. But I was always the last person because I was the orderly mm-hmm. in reception. Mm. So I watched hundreds of men get out of prison every yeah. month and I watched hundreds of men come back in. Mm-hmm. And in Dovegate at the time, um, over an eight and a bit year period, about a thousand men got saved. Mm-hmm. About two and a half, three hundred people got baptised. So Really? It was a big thing. And I, I they had three um, like missions, three mission weeks. And the first mission What's week... What's a mission week? A woman called Sandy Hicks is my spiritual mum. She was a chaplain. And um, Sandy is um, the most disorganised person in the world. (laughs) She's in her 70s now. She's worked with tens of thousands of men in prison. Mm. And uh, and she felt the Lord say, um, put on a mission. Mm. Well, the first mission they did in Dovegate, 15% of the jail got saved in one week. In one... 145 people. What was it like being there then? The crazy thing about Dovegate, and I don't miss prison, but I miss I miss some of the stuff that I seen. There was nothing I didn't see in Dovegate except for someone being raised for the dead. Wow. And um, and limbs growing back. I've watched everything else. Mm. And it was just and the accountability that the men had and the love and the joy and the and the, the just getting together and so we would just tell people about Jesus as soon as they got to the reception. As soon as they arrived. As soon as they arrived. So it would either be through serving them in Christ yeah. or it'd be through praying with them because they're distressed or like, you know, and just 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 being who we were. Yeah. And I got pulled up loads of times. And in the end, I remember the, this, this prison officer saying, just, just do what you're doing because reception seems to be a better place while you guys are here. <laughs> and But what happened in that is we knew where all the Christians were around the prison. Yeah. So I say, so what wing are you going on? Mate? Oh, I'll be going on B-Wing, right? So when you go on B-Wing, if you go to cell 22, yeah. speak to... So it was like sending people with a letter, like Paul sending yeah, Thomas yeah. with a letter somewhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To the Ephesians. And, and so next minute, they would go and meet this person to get some tea bags and smoke. And then you see this person in church on Sunday. Yeah. Do, do you get what I mean? Yeah. And, and literally, I, I've watched live lads come in from like Franklin Prison. Why am I here? And I knew that they were there because they were going to get saved. I knew, and like it was just a unique place, mm. and and I, I just had the privilege and the honour of leading hundreds of men to the Lord while I was there as well, and we were very bold in our faith, yeah. and and it was in that that I asked God a question, yeah, and it was in cell twenty three late at night in my cell on a wing, and I went, Lord, what's going to happen to me when I get out? Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen to these men? Mm. And that's when he gave me the vision of Walk Ministries. Yeah. And he gave me this big vision of what we're doing. And there's a building company and properties and, you know, men being accountable and open doorways and pathways and all the other mm. stuff. And and that's why you see us do what we do because of this thing that happened that was based on Matthew 25, mm. the need. 
Yeah. And when you ask the Lord about the need and you've had the heart to, to, to help him with that, mm-hmm. he will give you the vision yeah. and he will equip you along the way yeah. to do the vision. Mm-hmm. How did you do it? How did you do it from literally from walking out of the prison gates? Um, belief. Belief. It's all about belief. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to believe that if you, if, if you don't believe in that vision, mm-hmm. um, then don't do it. And you've got to have some faith, man. So, you, you've got to start believing in things that are unseen. I got saved halfway through the tariff, so I still had about three and a half years to go. When I got to Cat D... What's that? It's an open prison. Okay. I've touched base with a guy called Steve that mm-hmm. works at Walk now, but he was one of the volunteers who used to work in the prison. They were all running this small charity um, supporting men, but what they didn't have is anyone like me. What do you mean? A person that was an ex-offender. A person oh. that... So they had this heart to help people. Yeah. But they didn't have this this person to move it all forward. Yeah, the real deal. And uh, so what happened is I shared this vision, yeah. but they'd been praying for like a 12 month for this person Amen. to turn up. Mm-hmm. I was doing that charity placement. I managed to go and interview all the supported housing schemes in the city wow. and all the people around the UK, all the Christian supported housing schemes. So what were the actions you took to acquire your first two houses or um, I'm never scared to ask anyone for anything me. Okay. I don't get offended if you say no. But every house that we've had is come by a person that believed in what we were doing. All our properties are leased mm-hmm. by someone that supports what we do. So they they went and brought that property. They bought it for us. For you. But it's their property. And then they lease it to so, you. So this is where you go back to act 2. Mm-hmm where everyone started putting stuff into the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom to grow. Another charity came to the guy that's the CEO of this organisation and went, hey, we we, we don't want to be a charity anymore. We need to give our building to you because you're... And he says, hey, well, I'm only going to take the building because I know this crazy guy called Simon and and, and Karen and and the team and all that. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to let them have it so they let us have that building for a peppercorn rent and yeah. and then that's one half the street the other half the street that the chair of trustees brought oh, in hold on. two halves you've got a street we have a street of warehouses and we have like a flat at one end and we've just done an office for cornerstone and uh-huh. we have the training room and the offices and so it's a street but there's an impact because what's happening is the impact the cameras have gone up and the and the the the, 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 the men are there every day and so we've noticed that the area is getting a bit more cleaner and tidier and there's less drug dealing and there's so there's an impact of everything you do and it all comes out of having a vision and a soul one day and God providing and that is the key he will provide yeah what we have to do is learn to be patient and tolerant and happy and joyful in mm. the sufferings and the failure and the success yeah because see I believe the only reason I'm standing here today doing what I'm doing is because I've actually got out of bed to do it <laughs> that is it you cannot tell me that the Lord has not wanted this vision to come to pass in Stoke-on-Trent and across the UK you cannot tell me that why because he's a loving father and his attribute is Matthew 25 mm-hmm. we just got out of bed and did it
We're going to the things I wish I'd known section now. So I'm going to ask you these three questions. One, do you ever struggle with procrastination? Explain procrastination. Knowing you should do something and not doing it. Hmm. Um, well, I'll tell you a quick story. So one day I felt the Lord tell me to turn around on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then the next day a random man walked up to me in the street and mm-hmm. said, if the Lord asks you to do something, Simon, do it no matter what. Ooh. Do it no matter what because you don't know what's going to happen in the spirit. Mm-hmm. All our houses are, are, are going to different churches. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a Christian leader, I kept hearing the men come from church telling me that, that they felt the Lord saying, we've got to enlarge in the tents. Come on, Simon, we're enlarging the tents and all that. So at the same time, mm. um, I went and prayed in the office one night mm. and I felt the Lord say, get up and go and pray for the street. Wow. Now we already had the top end of the street. Yeah. So I got up and I went and prayed for the street. Mm. Hello to the drug dealers and the prostitutes and the, and the, the you know, the young guys and all the girls off the, you know, because we live where, where we're based is quite a impoverished part of the city. Mm. And I'm praying and tongues and claiming the street and all that. Mm. The next day. Yeah. The next day, the owner of the building next door, the, the group of warehouses, yeah. he's standing there. And I went, hello, my name's Simon. You spoke to me on the phone. He went, hello. I said, do you want to sell your building? And he went, I feel like retiring. <laughs> and I went, right, okay. He says, do you want to buy it? I said, I do, ah. So he told me the price. I shook his hand. And I said, that's it, agreed. And he went, have you got any money? I went, no. I said, but God has. And then... The chair of trustees, him and his wife, it was put on their heart that same week mm. to donate £200,000. God is amazing. Amazing. God, just amazing. So even though sometimes I feel mm. that I could listen more and be more obedient, mm. you've got to remember I'm, 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 I'm all of us. We're just learning to be who we are in yeah. Christ as best we can. Mm. The Lord knows our hearts. And even though I wasn't quite sure about what he was asking me to do, he's basically asking me to just be obedient on this journey mm. because we were just about to go through the breakthrough. Mm. The fruit was there. Mm. Why you and not someone else? Um, I think it's because of my life, my upbringing, what I've been through, mm. and my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe... It says in the Bible that there's nothing wasted. Mm. It glorifies his name. Mm. I don't believe that God wanted me to go through all the things that I went through, but because I went through, I have a massive understanding. Yeah. So I don't judge people relatively. I'm not. I'm not bothered about you know the, the stories that I hear people's lives because I've yeah. been through most yeah, of it myself. It. So I think there's that part of it, um, and. I don't know, ask ask um, Karen and Steve and, and Mark and people that are close to me. They all think I'm a bit nuts. I'm prepared to do it anyway, so... Risk taker. Yeah, risk taker. It goes back to... I'm not bothered about failing. I'm, I'm bothered about um, not actually doing it. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's not about the failing, but it's actually not getting up and trying. Yeah. And that's the bit that motivates me. Come on, man, you've got to try at least. Finally, or second to last, actually, do you have any books, shows, conferences, podcasts, courses, etc., that you could recommend that developed you into the person you are today? Hmm. I read a book a long time ago called The Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Little Red Book, and it taught me a lot about the spiritual walk that we go through. That was a really good book. The Quest. Um, the Quest. I think um, someone like Rick Joyner wrote it in the 70s or 80s, and it was quite interesting because when I read it, I was going through quite a massive spiritual part of my walk and learning about there is a spiritual side of our walk. The biggest thing is the Bible. It, yeah. It's got to be... Um, but at the same time, it's okay to read people's life stories and testimonies and, and get inspiration. And um, Jackie Pullinger, um, I've met Jackie Pullinger mm-hmm. and I listened to her life story. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm a projects managing kind of person, get things to happen. Mm-hmm. I, um, some of my heroes, there's a guy called Simon, uh, Simon Beach Ward. So he's the guy behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Of big church out and things like that oh, so he okay. so he's not the visionary but he's the person that gets it to happen because he's the mechanical part mm-hmm. so i i go and t- spend a lot of time watching and listening to people like that and you know we get to help set it up each year and so that's yeah it's 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 good to have saints in front of you mm-hmm. it's really important um, because of their wisdom and their knowledge, yeah. they've gone through a lot of stuff that you are about to go through. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember that we had we had something that happened at our charity, and I was so blown away. I rang five or six charity, went, "Nah, it's nothing." And they told me their story, and their story was like ten times that's bigger than our so story. Exciting. And um, so that's something that you got to get. Mm-hmm. Just because it's big to you, it doesn't mean that no one else hasn't been through it. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay to share that with people as well. So, very final question in a sentence. What words of encouragement would you give someone who was living the life you were living back in the day? Ask yourself why. Just get up and ask yourself why you live in this world. Because you definitely know what's right and wrong. Because if you didn't know what's right and wrong, you wouldn't run. You wouldn't do it in the dark. You wouldn't do it in secret. And if you know it's wrong, then what's right? And that is the question that you need to ask God. Lord, show me what is right. Because you've got the equipment, the, the gift set, the the, the, the the get up and go, that you've got it all. Yeah. He's already given you that. Mm. But ask him to show you. Mm. You know, one of my biggest prayers I have with any person I ever meet is, Lord, speak to this person in a way that they understand mm. in their language. Mm. You know, if it, if it needs to be in colours or a, if it needs to be in mathematical equations or it needs to be in a smile, however you want to speak, but ask the Lord to show you because here's the thing. The Lord definitely wants to get to know you. Amen. And if you don't ask, you're not received yeah. because he's a, he's a graceful father mm. and he won't impose himself on you, mm. but he won't ever stop knocking on your door. So true. Thank you so Amen. much. So, so much. That was the awesome Simon Edwards. Join us next time to find out who February's guest will be. Thanks for listening. New episodes are available on the first Tuesday of every month. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe on iTunes or your podcast provider so you never miss an episode. Finally, The Good Man, exploring economics and the spirit, is available on audible.com now. And if it's your first book, it's free. Thanks for listening and stay blessed. Thank you.